It was Dallas Willard who wrote that Jesus Christ is the master of molecules, the smartest person who's ever lived. And we believe that Jesus Christ knows how life works best starting right now. Thus, Jesus Smart. You're listening to Jesus Smart, the podcast. This is episode number 77. And we're exploring a topic today with Deborah Porter, something that's very smart according to Jesus, and that is the call to overcome unforgiveness so that we can move into faith. You know, it's interesting that the hardest sayings of Jesus, you may feel like, I just can't forgive that person. It's just, it's just too hard. They are exponentially rewarded. And when we make the decision to obey Jesus as an apprentice of Christ and of his kingdom, there are exponential rewards. There's new positioning in Christ. We obtain a higher standing in Christ, really. Deborah will be sharing her experience of forgiving her father who was totally absent from her childhood and what that unleashed in her life and in the lives of her children, a multi-generational benefit. And then we talk about prayer because there's a clear connection between forgiveness that is forgiving others and having an effective, fruitful prayer life. It's such a high leverage activity prayer. It's transformational in nature, and we align ourselves with higher design from above. It's really the most creative thing we can do. And so we don't want to do anything that would short circuit or short change our prayer life, compromise it in any way. It's very interesting to me that in Mark 11, when Jesus was telling us that we could speak to mountains and they will be removed if we believe what we say, And he says there, when we pray, if we believe that we've received it, we have it. And then he says something interesting. He he says, look, when you're praying, if you need to forgive anybody, forgive them. Why? Because unforgiveness will short circuit and degrade our prayer life. And we just can't afford that. It's one of the highest leverage creative things we can do. And so we want to be free. It frees us. It's a great conversation with Deborah Porter. I'll be back at the end. I hope you enjoy it. I know you will. Let's get right to it. Welcome, Jesus Smart listeners. I am excited and motivated to bring to you today a conversation with Deborah Porter from Washington, D.C. My wife and I were recently in D.C. In fact, we were taking our oldest daughter there. She was starting her first job in Washington just several weeks ago. And now your youngest son just graduated from college, right, Deborah? That's exactly right. And you have uh, three adult children, young adult children. And so this is quite a, um, a quite a new season that we're emerging into. Absolutely. But, yeah. And so we were there and we were visiting NCC National Community Church with Pastor Mark Batterson, really fond of him. You know, we've read The Circle Maker, his, one of his per- first books, one of his early books, Primal, A Quest for the Lost Soul of Christianity, really impacted me. And of course, he has a whole plethora of books now. But we were there in one of the campuses. Are there eight now, Deborah? eight theater campuses across the region? There are. There are. And we're actually beginning um, the process of our new um campus, which is the turnaround, which is just a couple blocks from where you were. That should be opening up this summer. The turnaround. Is that, is that sort of like a dream center concept? 
Um, so our, our dream center actually is a separate location. Um, this is actually a new campus where the miracle theater and the echo stage campus will merge. It oh. will be our biggest campus yet. It is a f- building that is a full city block in size. Wow. Yeah. We've, uh, we've seen pastor Mark talk about some of that on some YouTube videos. That's incredible. Yes. But we were there at the, uh, I think it's called Barrows Row Campus, right? Barracks, up on, yes. Uh, Barracks Row, yes, up on up on Capitol, Capitol Hill. And uh, we were there with our daughter one Sunday morning. And then the campus pastor brought up Deborah at the end to say a little prayer at the end and mentioned that she uh, he, he was very excited about a book she was coming out with. I just felt a little nudge on the inside, Deborah. I said, I'm going to try to track her down. <laughs> See if she'd be interested on being on this podcast, and um, I'm so glad we were able to make that all all work. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking today about her chapter. Listen to this; it's it's a killer problem for humanity: fear, overcoming fear, and getting past fear into faith and expectancy. And her chapter in this book, which you'll hear about, is a, is about that topic. And also, we're going to uh, touch on how we can deepen our prayer life how we can really level up and become um, more proficient in prayer, more um, more effective in prayer, more fruitful in prayer, so we can fly higher. And I'm going to say, Deborah, so everything that we touch can can fly higher, right? There we go. Prayer, I, I love it. Oh, I love man, it. Prayer just has an energy that that I I just you know can't live without. I'll I'll talk with you about that as we move on. But let me give you a little bit of a background because I think it's important. Deborah is a devoted wife and mom of three adult children. She's a native New Yorker. She was born and, and raised in Westchester County. She left for Virginia for college in the early 80s and attended Virginia Commonwealth University, where she met her husband, Clifton, who has a BS in administration of justice and public safety. And uh, Deborah, you told me that you spent some time living in Maumee, Ohio, which is sort of in Northwest Ohio. I'm in the Cleveland area. Um, did you say you raised your children there? You, you, you spent some years there? We did. We lived there for 10 years. Um, Our youngest, when we moved there, was going into the third grade. So the other two were a bit bigger, but they spent much of their formative years and, and, you know, those high school years in that Maumee, Ohio area, which was fantastic. It was one of those towns where they could leave on their bikes and I didn't worry. And they came home for lunch and then ran back out and came back at dinner. It was fantastic. Great. Great. So we got some, um, we got some Buckeye synergy here. Yes. So, um, yeah. And, and then Deborah worked as a criminal investigator and probation officer in the state of Virginia from the mid eighties to early nineties. And then there was a decision made her and her husband together after prayer, they made a quality decision that she would be a stay at home mom. And um, she didn't realize it then, but it would lead into something that she's doing today. She also believes strongly in the local church much of her leadership and mentoring skills were refined there. What are some of the areas that you've served, um, Deborah, in the local church? My husband and I have served, gosh, I guess many areas in our local church. We've served as um, new membership teachers. We've served as uh, small group leaders for marriages, for uh, families, for young parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also mentored moms and served as the leader for the stay-at-home moms ministry. Um, it's it's just it's where it's where we've grown and where we've allowed and, and been able to help other people to grow as well. I like it. Our you know our pastor says something. He says when you serve in a local church, there's a sizzle on your life that's different. Would you would you mm, agree with that? <laughs> I would absolutely agree with that. <laughs> sort of a Holy Spirit uh, sizzle from above. Um, 
Currently, Deborah has started the Moms Mentoring Circle to continue supporting others, in this case, moms. She mentors at-home moms with systems for themselves and their families and their home life. Her and her husband have been married for over 29 years. They currently reside in Alexandria, Virginia, enjoy spending time in Naples. And your youngest son just graduated, right, from college this past weekend? He he did. He did. It was an amazing weekend. The weather was fantastic, and it was just one commencement exercise after another all weekend long. It was fantastic. Uh, Deborah, would you agree with this that, you know, commencement means beginning, right? That's actually what the word means. You, You begin a new season. Do we have unending commencements throughout our adult lives as um, as Christ followers, new beginnings, new graduations, new levels? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, your walk with God, there's not a, a destination. You know, you're not aiming to get to the thing. There is always a new level, a new um, unfolding, a new discovery, not just about God, but really even about ourselves. The closer we walk with Him, the more we walk with Him, the longer we walk with Him, the more we are um, introduced to our real selves mm. and kind of the, the fact that we need him even more. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about this mom's mentoring circle group and and website. Yeah, this is really my my heartbeat. It is it is the thing that um, I I really feel super passionate about. Mom's mentoring circle is in existence to really help moms to be able to be. Um, I want I don't want to say the perfect mom because that woman does not exist, but to really to be able to have the skills, the systems, and things in place to help us be a bit more organized uh, in our personal lives. Uh, with our children, in our homes, and also in that process to remember that mother is a title we wear. And so we don't have to lose ourselves in that. We still have the opportunity and the right to nurture uh, our own gifts, talents, and abilities because we do have an offering as well. So trying to merge that motherhood with still me being the woman that God created me to be with the natural gifts and talents that I have to still serve the body of Christ. Yeah. Do you find that when women focus on their identity and their spiritual gifts and, you know, they have this functionality in their life outside of mothering, right, in addition to it, do you find that that actually enhances and helps their parenting, their mothering? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that if we get too focused on one role, then the other pieces of us suffer. Uh, I remember I was so focused as a stay-at-home mom. I was reading every book I could on being a great mom. And the Holy Spirit said to me one morning, I will not anoint you out of order. You're a wife first. Hmm. And I need you to remember that and to not put your children ahead of your husband. I really had gotten a little skewed on that. And so it was just a reminder to me that I am a mother, but i that's not my only responsibility. It's not my only title. <laughs> I will not anoint you out of order. Okay, so you could click the podcast off right now and walk away, and it, <laughs> it, it would be worth tuning in just, just for that. Seriously, that is that is so critical. Order. Wow. Very good. So what is the website for this uh, group, Moms Mentoring Circle? So the website is momsmentoringcircle.com. 
and it provides you some information about what we do, how we support moms, some of what we each struggle with as a mom, and a way for you to get in touch if, if you'd like to you know, talk a little bit more about how that might look specifically for you. Super. And we'll have these links on the show notes page. And now there's a book that has come out. It's called, listen to this, Dear Fear, uh, Volume 3. So this is a series of books. Maybe you could address that. But this one, the subtitle is Powerful Lessons on Living Your Best Life on the Other Side of Fear. Are there like 10 women who have contributed to this title, uh, Deborah? That's exactly right. So 10 of us were willing to be vulnerable enough to share um, some pretty, pretty deep stuff, some things that we've each experienced, but really the purpose in sharing it is not just for the sharing. The purpose really is to help people see our testimony and how in the midst of what seems like um, an insurmountable obstacle, how once you let fear move to faith and allow God to step in, how what seems to be the scariest thing in your life can turn out to be not only one of the biggest blessings, but one of the biggest testimonies of forgiveness, of restoration, um, of healing that you could ever imagine. Mm. Yeah. How did this um, how did this project come about? Well, for me, I actually went to the book signing of Dear Fear Volume 2. A dear friend of mine was a participant in that. Okay. Um, and I thought I was just going to a book signing. I'd get my book signed. I'd take a couple of pictures and I'd walk away. Mm-hmm. I was sadly, mis- well, not sadly, but I was definitely mistaken. I was there and these women began to open up and share about their journey and their battle with fear and what life looked like on the front side of it and what life began to look like as they went through it and got to the other side of it. And Mm. as they were talking, I had to really fight back tears because I knew many of them were speaking to things deep down in my heart, things that I had never even spoken out of my mouth to anyone. And so in the midst of that, I knew that if there would be another opportunity, I knew that God wanted me somehow connected to it. And and at the end of the signing, they they opened up and said, you know, we're going to do volume three. If you think God is speaking to you about this, get in touch with us. This is an um, awesome concept of doing a collaborative effort on a book, getting a set of voices addressing, you know, the same topic from uh, different angles and different testimonies, different life stories. I, you know, I've, I've heard Bible scholars say, Deborah, that overwhelmingly, it's not even close. The most commands or imperative statements in the scriptures, like hundreds of them, is do not fear repeatedly. Mm-hmm. It keeps coming up in the throughout the Bible, do not fear. Would you, would you say that fear is like the devil's faith? I mean, I just thought of that right now. Is, is fear the devil's faith? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the way that he is able to kind of weasel his way into our thought life. And so each time one of those um, seeds is attempted to be planted, we have an opportunity to either not, not allow it, to allow our soil to not receive it, or if we're passive, we just kind of let it sit there. And, and even allowing fear to sit can be very dangerous. Hmm. Like corrosive, right? I mean, it just pulls on our thoughts. It pulls on our emotions. It yes. it sort of stifles our, I think it stifles the capacity of our spirit mm-hmm. to to believe, to receive, to to express faith. 
Um, now, there are some chapters in this title by, by various ladies like, Dear Fear, You Can't Have My Joy, and Dear Fear, You Can't Have My Breakthrough, You Can't Have My Voice, You Can't Have My Will to Live. Your chapter title is, Dear Fear, You Can't Have My Forgiveness. Um, do you mean that you can't have my forgiveness in the sense of my my decision, my ability to forgive others? Is that what you mean there? Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my, my journey with, um, really discovering the depth and the extravagance of the gift of forgiveness really was my ability to offer it to my dad. Mm. Um, I met my dad for the first time in my life at the age of 21. And like many of us, when we've been wronged or when we've been not treated properly or treated badly, I thought it was my right to not forgive him. I thought that I had a reason. I had a valid um, journey that I had been through that withholding forgiveness, it would be allowed in this situation, you know, thinking that God would kind of give me a pass this one time, um, you know, to not offer what I so desperately needed on a daily, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's exactly what forgiveness in this, in this experience is talking about. So you didn't meet him until you were 21. He was, he was never in your life throughout your childhood. Never in my life. Um, did not know him, did not know where he was, did not know any of my relatives on that side of the family. Um, knew nothing. I knew his name. That's all I knew was his first name. So how was that coming up as a child? Um, looking back on it now, how did that impact you? How did you feel during that time? I think part of those years, you know, it's hard to really miss what you've not had. Um, so I think that was part of it as I, you know, when I was a younger um, girl, my grandfather, who I called daddy till the day he died, my mother's father was absolutely, you know, the dad figure in my life. Okay. But as I got older, uh, there is a void. You know, people say there's a there's a hole in your heart the size of God and that only God can fill it. Mm -hmm. And I really, looking back, feel like I had two of those holes. Mm. One was for my heavenly father, but one was for my earthly father. And and the older I got, the more um, obvious it was that that hole was there in my relationships uh, with my, with, with young men and with, with boys and in my relationship, even with other people, friendships, there was just this wall that I had erected in an attempt to protect myself. Mm. And, and that wall became my personal jail. You felt imprisoned or, or captive. Absolutely. Looking back at the time, I didn't. At the time, I thought I was protecting myself. I thought I was being smart. I thought I was, you know, handling things properly. But looking back, I I absolutely erected a jail, a prison for myself. And so not not only could people not get in to hurt me, but I really could not even get out to be able to develop and form healthy relationships. Mm. Fatherhood's so important. It speaks to issues of like identity, right? Security, destiny. When did you come to the Lord? How, how old were you when you, when you began to walk with the Lord? So I came to the Lord um, just before I was going to be um, 22. So the summer after meeting my dad, I met my dad Christmas time when I was 21. My birthday's in August. So about six months after meeting him is when I completely surrendered my life to God. Was there any connection there for you at all? The timing of that, it seems close. You know, you asking me right now is the first time I connected those dots. Um, 
And and I, I would have to say there had to be a connection. There had to be a divine, godly connection um, to that happening so close to my meeting him. And literally before you connected those dots and asked that question, I had not thought about it. What motivated you to get back in contact with your dad? You were the initiator, right? You you made this happen. I was the initi- initiator. Um, there was um, some other issues going on. My mom had to reach out to his attorney for something having to do with papers they had signed or something that predated me. And so I was not privy to all of that. Okay. But, but I remember hearing her on the phone mentioning that these papers had to get to Barry. And so I thought, huh. Well, if she's got to reach out to him anyway, maybe I need to do this. Okay. You know, maybe maybe I need to go ahead and try and make this connection happen. So I mentioned it to her. She thought, well, if that's what you want, let's do it. And so that's kind of how that happened. Mm. And so you went you went through a process of coming to a place where you forgave your father. And I imagine that was a process you went through. Did you have a talk with him? Did you bring things out into the open? Was he receptive to what you were saying? How did how did all of that unfold? You know, our first meeting, um, I remember it literally like it just happened. I remember him walking in the door to pick me up. And I remember instantly realizing that the other piece of who I was, all the things I didn't understand and know were right in front of me. Wow. I, I instantly, I just knew it instantly. And, and so I did not expect there to be that kind of a connection right out the gate. Um, I still attempted to be a little reserved, you know, that, that wall was still up. So the jail cell was still in place. So I was still kind of protected, but I remember him being emotionally and, you know, visibly overwhelmed at meeting me. And I remember his apology being very sincere Mm. And I remember it impacting me when I vowed to myself that I would not let anything he said impact me. And I just, I remember just on a very uh, deep level, emotionally and spiritually, the words that he spoke, how they really, um, they, they fed something in me that I didn't even know needed watering. Wow. Well, you know, I tell you, God has designed it in such a way that they're you know, the primal, you know, Adam and Eve, the garden principle, the, 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 the man, the woman, the father, the mother. It's so primal, isn't it? It is. It is. It is primal. And it's one of those things that we don't think about because it's just innate. It's just there. But um, the the opportunity to meet him, even after we met, I, I wasn't quite sure I wanted this relationship to continue. I thought, you know what, I'll meet him, check that box and keep moving Um, But God absolutely had other plans. In your chapter, you say that your personal story of of overcoming fear, and you also connected it to impacting another generation, that it's not just our experience or our processing that we go through, but but it does have multi-generational effect, right? The reconciliation with your own father. Could you could you speak to that? Absolutely. So at the time I met my dad, obviously I wasn't married. I didn't have any children. So I wasn't really even thinking that far down the road. But once I did get married, um, you know, we had the whole, you know, big wedding, like, like a lot of people have. And I remember being, being faced with, you know, do I ask him to walk me down the aisle, you know, and, and if I do that, how will that impact my mom or, you know, so anyway, he did walk me down the aisle. It was a beautiful day. 
we began having children. And, and what I found out later in life, one of my children went to uh, college within 15 minutes of where my dad lived. That was by chance. It wasn't on purpose. But I remember one of the visits we made down to that university. We also had dinner with him. And I remember him looking across the dinner table at me and saying, I wasn't there for you, but I promise you I will be there for this child if they come here. Wow. And he was. Uh, my, my children know my father in a way now at their age that I'm still learning him. Oh, my goodness. And I, you know, I look back and I just think, God, your plan is so perfect. Like you, you, you are so perfect in your structure of, of this extravagant gift of forgiveness that you um, desire for us to give, that you willingly give to us because the reach is so far greater than what we anticipate. Um, so I, I was not thinking about my children in the moment I met my dad. I was not thinking about what that impact might be. But as I look at the relationship that they now have and how, you know, that could have been completely non-existent had I chosen to be disobedient and hold on to my flesh, as opposed to really submitting, allowing myself to be vulnerable to see what God would do with it. Yeah. See, really just having that heart of being open to forgiving and a heart set of like reconciliation, you know, being open to reconciling. Uh, and I imagine your own children, when they have children, there's going to be that, that effect, that, that residue, that positive residue will carry through. Absolutely. Yeah. They ask me questions now, now that they're a bit older, you know, they'll ask me from time to time. So what do you mean you didn't know granddad at 21 until you were 21? Like, what are you talking like? Because for them, that is so foreign. That's so outside of their existence. And I've, I've waited till they got older to be able to really give a little bit more detail. I think that it's important to provide children with age appropriate answers. Yeah. And, you know, some things their shoulders are not meant to bear and to carry. So it's it's been in the more recent years that they have a little bit fuller picture of kind of what that looked like. And them being able to witness my ability to forgive has not at all impacted their love and their connection with their grandfather. Yeah, that is so good. It's it's so good to see how the Lord, through all of this, closed that loop and brought brought healing and reconnection it's so it's so good to see that before we go on what would you say what would you say into the context of an individual who's really struggling and this is not a possibility for them or at least it seems that way right now or maybe you know every situation is different right every context every set of circumstances is unique what would you say to those who who might be thinking i would love for that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I would love to be in a place where I could initiate that. Or uh, how would you speak to that, Deborah? I know that might, that's a toughie, but how would you, how would you address that? Well, a couple things. The first thing I would say would be first John four eighteen, where the Bible tells us that there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Mm. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So what I had to, the first thing I had to determine for myself was that it's not courage, it's not boldness. None of that is what is going to drive out fear. The thing that is going to drive out fear is love, my connection and my relationship with my heavenly father, who then gives me the ability 
to forgive and to love unconditionally. So that's the first thing I would say. The other thing I would say is that forgiveness is not a one-time occurrence, especially if you've been deeply hurt. Um, It does not happen once. There is going to be moments where those thoughts come back to your mind. The question is, what do you do when the thoughts come? Just because a thought comes doesn't mean it's yours and doesn't mean it's sinful. The question is, what do I do with it when it gets there? Mm -hmm. And so arresting those thoughts, requiring them to submit to the word of God and choosing to remind yourself when something comes that you have forgiven, reminding yourself out loud if necessary, nope, that's under the blood. I've already addressed that. We're done with that. That is a finished issue. It is, it is over. I've already, I've moved on from that. So it's a process. I guess that's a long way of saying it's a process. It is not a one-time event. Do not require yourself to do this one time and think that you should have it done perfectly. It's a process. You had a fascinating phrase there, arresting those thoughts. You know, of course, it makes you think of the scripture by Paul, bringing every thought captive, right, into the obedience of Christ. Uh, your bio says you were at one time a criminal investigator. I right? was. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> are there thoughts that come, they're, they're like criminal thoughts, right? They're like thoughts that are illegal or criminal or trespassing in nature that we just need to arrest and bring them into captivity to Christ. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And because of my background, I do use a lot of that vernacular when I'm talking, just because that's kind of my background, my training. And, <laughs> you know, it's this it. thing that God and I have, like he knows that about me. And so even for me in pr- times of prayer or as I'm struggling, like he knows how I look at and think through. And so he even with me will speak in terms that for me, I get, you know, for someone else, it may sound like, oh, that's a little aggressive. Um, but for me, it works. Yeah, absolutely. We have our own language and our personal connection with God and our history, and he uses it. I love that. Yeah. Um, now, if somebody chooses not to forgive, let's say they're holding on to like pride, right? Or a, a grudge or resentment, bitterness. They're just swept up in it and they feel like they just can't forgive or they make a decision that I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'll never forgive them, you know? I, I, I mean, you know, we've heard people say things like, I'll never, I don't care if I ever see them again, you know, they can burn in hell. I'm mm-hmm. not releasing them. I'm not forgiving them. I'm, I'm never going to be, what toll can that take? What can happen with that individual who just chooses to not forgive? Uh, what kind of an impact can that have? Well, you know, I'm just going to read a quick portion of the book. It's just, it's literally a paragraph, but it says, what happens if I don't choose forgiveness? By default, I'm automatically choosing punishment, blame, a grudge, retaliation, and bitterness. But guess who gets hurt by all of that poison? Not the person I'm not forgiving, but me. There is an inward unrest when we allow ourselves to walk in unforgiveness And as much as we all deserve forgiveness, we also deserve peace. Whether or not I wanted to admit it, peace was eluding me. Being vulnerable was not something I enjoyed, so I tried to avoid it as much as possible. And if I'm being honest, it's still not one of my favorite things to do today. Why? Because there's a surrendering of control when you're vulnerable. And in my world, that meant you were weak. But I had reached the point that my way wasn't working, not even a little bit. You know, is it important? I've I have found myself doing this in micro issues. Okay, not an I've 
I'm, I'm not speaking about an issue as, as massive as what you went through in, in this instance, but, you know, like a slight will come or an offense, right? Mm-hmm. Some, a, a button will be pushed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just, mm-hmm. just the other day, I, there were a series of buttons coming from a significant person in my life, right? And okay, after about the third or fourth button, I don't even think they knew what they were doing. But, mm-hmm. but I realized, okay, there's obviously a pattern here. Uh, this, this is obviously a bait. Okay. Uh, the enemy is wanting me to, to react in a negative mm-hmm. way. Thankfully, in this instance, I didn't go for it, right? But I mean, I, I just told the Lord, I just, Lord, 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 I just give it to you. You just, if you want to deal with them about it, go ahead. I just gave the control of the, of the situation to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that a good practice? I always feel good when I do that. I just say, you know what? I'm not worrying about it. I'm not going to have to, I don't, it's my perceived sense of rights or something. I, I'm just giving it to you. If you want to deal with it, have at it. I'm done with it. It's over. Love it. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. The ability to surrender and to surrender issues, concerns, uh, problems, offenses, the ability to surrender those to your heavenly father and allow him to fight that battle is a battle much better fought than if we try to do it in and of ourselves. And I've also shared with people, if you're not at that point, that point, my suggestion would be find someone that you know loves you unconditionally, that you trust, that you know no matter what you share with them, it, the only other place it will go is to the Father in prayer. Yeah. Find that person and confess it to them because there really is um, an ability to heal when we're willing to confess. If, if we're not willing to confess it for what it is, then it's still a hidden thing. And we have a way of trying to protect those hidden areas in our life that we know are probably not very pleasing to God, but also we might be somewhat ashamed of. So if you're not yet in that type of relationship where you really can turn it over to God and leave it there, find a person that you can do that with, someone to help hold you accountable, someone that's praying for you, someone that's checking with you, someone that's able to lovingly and scripturally nudge you into the position that God wants you in. Wow. That is another massive nugget. You can turn the podcast off right there, leave. <laughs> that is so good. Now, you're, you're, you're referencing James 5, right? Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed, right? Absolutely. Bring it and, Absolutely. and, and, and pray for each other, it says there. Um, what is that dynamic as far as God is concerned? There are some issues, it seems, not every issue, and, and probably not most issues, but it seems there are some issues that what is requisite is that we come to another And you said something very important, a trusted member in the body of Christ that will talk about it to no one other than the Father, right? That's that's critical. What is that dynamic? It just seems that the Lord reserves some situations for that dynamic to be employed to bring a resolution or a healing. Is that true? I believe that. I believe that. I think it's... um to bring resolution and healing, but I think it's also to remind us that no man is an island. You know, you cannot be a Christian by yourself. You need each other. Uh, you, you just can't. Yeah. I, I know that, you know, there are some that have, you know, certain issues with organized religion and the church and they've been hurt. And I know all of that is real, but at the end of the day, a, a, lo- a log left alone on fire will die out. And so I think part of the need for us to do that with one another is is absolutely for the things that you said, but I think it's absolutely a, a visual for the fact that we need each other. I can't do this by myself. 
Absolutely. And we got to get past the thing of being like offended at organized religion or maybe something bad has happened in our background with church, you know, church life, like a churchianity Mm -hmm. instead of an authentic Christianity, an authentic Christ following. You know, Deborah, as I think about this whole concept of fatherhood, I, I can't help but think about how Jesus came and really one of his major revelations to us is, isn't it the fatherhood of God? He taught us to like pray to the Father. I know the Old Testament mentions the fatherhood of God, but it really seems to be highlighted and underscored in the New Testament. Is is that how you see that with Jesus? I think that um, the heart of God is is prayer because that's how we commune with him. And we are the apple of his eye. We are the ones that he created to fellowship with him. And so, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Have you heard the phrase father wound? I'm, I'm sure you have, right? I yeah. actually have not. Uh, the so-called father wound, like a, an individual or even a generation of people who have been fatherless or, you know, there's all kinds of ways that that can manifest, you know, dysfunction with their fathers. But, you know, it's created a father wound in people, a, a whole, you know sometimes a dysfunction. And and many times we transfer that over to God, right? Do you think that if there is something called a father wound, that it can create a prayer wound? Can it affect our intimacy with God as father and even um, sort of uh, limit or cap our prayer life? That's very, very interesting. And, And I have heard that term, but I've heard it a little bit differently. I've heard it more as the hole in our heart, the size of God. Okay. And, and I had to, for myself, reconcile that I probably had two of those holes. One was for my heavenly father and one was for my earthly father. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it can be very um, tricky when we start you know, impressing upon God the way man or people may treat us. And, and for me, because my father was actually absent, it wasn't as if there had been you know, physical abuse or anything like that. I I did not have that issue. I did not I did not impose on God what my earthly dad had done. But but I can absolutely see how um, people can almost be fearful of God or fearful of the surrender or the vulnerability that comes with um, total surrender to what God's plan is for your life. If you've had this kind of baggage or issue with your earthly dad, I absolutely see how that can impact us in our relationship with him, in our connection, in our desire to even want to go to God and pray if we have this other image of what a father, you know, kind of open quote, end quote, might be. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to get real here. I was speaking with somebody this past week. They were, it was a family member, an extended family member, but they were telling me about their daughter who has really experienced sort of a sidebar issue, but it relates to men and she's transferred it over to God, has experienced a strong pattern of sexual harassment in her life. Not so much overt and abusive in nature, like sexual abuse, but just harassment, verbal, Mm -hmm. and sometimes Mm -hmm. being, you know, touched and groped. And she used to be a waitress, you know, something happened at school. Mm -hmm. And as as she began to tell me these, these experiences, I just began to see a pattern. And I said, your daughter is under assault. There's a pattern here that, you know, we need to go into prayer and and break. Now she has transferred that to God. What about this issue today? There's so much with like the Me Too movement today. And there's so many parts of that that are so good about women, you know, standing up, drawing lines and, you know, insisting on not being harassed. But 
in the case of this young woman, she's about 21. She has clearly now transferred that to God. She's, she has a problem in her relationship with God because she views men as um, abusive. What Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's really very unfortunate. And my heart really goes out to her. Um, one, because she has experienced that and been on the receiving end of um, just unconscionable um, behavior. My, my other concern for her is that in any way that she would be try to connect those men and those people with who her heavenly father is and what he has for her. And for me, this is why uh, the community of church and believers is so important. Uh, because if we try to sort out these things on our own and by ourselves, uh, what happens is we end up mixing a little bit of Jesus with a little bit of the world, with a little bit of our own thoughts, right. and it gets very cloudy and very muddy. Um, and so my prayer for her would be that she finds a safe place with a community of believers, even if it's a women's Bible study or a women's um, group of some sort, that she's able to feel a little bit more safe uh, before she is actually able to go into, you know, a full um, experience of celebration with the full body of Christ, men and women. Okay. But but that would be my encouragement and my prayer to her. Find a community of women believers that are going to surround you and pray with you and for you um, and a place where it's safe to be vulnerable. That's excellent. And we want to see women empowered and fully released, you know, into their potential in the body of Christ, I, I believe that this is one of the major trend lines that the Holy Spirit is is pushing on and developing today. Bring you know, empowering kingdom women, bringing them back into their place. Some of them wrestle with men issues in general, like uh, this young lady, and some uh, some might wrestle with with father issues, and of course, it affects boys in various ways too. Isn't it interesting that the last couple of verses in the Old Testament and Malachi speak to the issue of uh, the hearts of the fathers and the children being restored? Your entire testimony of um, forgiveness with your dad. Isn't that interesting as sort of a preface or almost a, a segue into the New Testament? It really is. It really is. And I just think that it is a continued expression of the heart of God and the love of God. And uh, the fact that it can all be restored. You know, for me, the, the message of restoration in, in forgiveness and, and forgiveness, not necessarily the apology, right? I think sometimes we equate the restoration or the freedom from whatever it is we're battling to the apology. And really what I have found, at least in my life, mm. the freedom was connected to my ability to be like Jesus and forgive apology or not. Okay. That's a biggie, isn't it? Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the general tendency is to say, well, when they apologize, and if I sense they're authentically sorry and they ask me for forgiveness, then I'll extend it, right? But yeah. you're but you're saying we can't wait for that. You can't wait for that because, and, and the reason you can't wait for that is because some people have been um, hurt by people that are now deceased. They'll never get an apology. Mm. 
And so if you're connecting your, your freedom or your ability to be like Christ or your ability to move forward to the apology, you know, that you're, you're still giving your power over to someone else. And really in moments like this, I think God is requiring of us, what will you do? Will you be like me? Will you trust me? Will you allow me to walk you through this completely aside from whatever else that other person does or doesn't do? Transcending it, just getting above it, getting free, forgiving them. So important. You know, I think of like Jesus' great teaching on faith in, in Mark chapter 11, where he says, you know, have faith in God. And then whoever speaks to this mountain to be removed and believes in their heart that what they say will happen, it will happen. And then he talks about prayer. If you pray and believe that you've received, then you'll have it. And then he, and then he says, and when you stand praying, if you, if you need to forgive anybody, forgive them, right? So um, how important, Deborah, to you is this issue of forgiveness as it relates to like praying and, and moving the needle on getting mountains removed and, you know, really having effective prayer? Oh, it's completely tied to it. It's completely tied to it. Forgiveness um, or the lack thereof, I should say unforgiveness, what that does is you are forever tethered to that thing, that offense, that wrong. Um, and, and it's very difficult to move forward. You think about, you know, a dog on a leash, they can only go so far. And so if you can just allow yourself to remain tethered to that thing through unforgiveness, your ability to move forward is absolutely stunted. Your growth is stunted. Um, and so, uh, the, the choice, and it really is a choice and it's not a one-time choice. Forgiveness is absolutely Absolutely, something that we have to choose daily, sometime moment by moment. Uh, for me, I was in that place where I had to moment by moment choose to forgive. It wasn't like it was going to be some mystical thing that rained down from heaven and rested on me. Mm. I had to make the choice, Lord, I'm choosing to walk the way that you've told me to walk. And what you've said is, I need to forgive because God, I need your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy every moment. And so for me, it became very much tied to my relationship with the Lord. It became very much tied to my ability to take communion. Um, for me, it just became very real that I have to do this aside from whatever is offered to me. Mm. Would you say that when we have to make those decisions by just an act of the will, by faith to forgive in, in this instance, and there's probably other ways too, that we have to, you know, make a decision to walk in the spirit <laughs> instead of the flesh. We don't feel like it at the moment, right? And we may not feel like, I don't have the grace to do this. I don't have the spiritual energy to do it. But when we make that decision, has it, has it been your experience that the Holy Spirit shows up at that point and actually gives you the grace and gives you the the desire and the will to do it. Oh, does he ever? Oh my goodness. The, you know, that, see, this is, this is faith, right? These are the moments that uh, you have to be able to say, I don't know what's on the other side of this, but God, I'm going to do it because you told me to. And no, it's not easy. And I, there were times that I messed up and didn't choose it. But in those moments that I did, it was evident and obvious that God met me there and that he provided the ability and the strength for me to walk that out. It was completely beyond my own ability to do so, completely beyond my own ability. So the more I did it and the more I felt his presence in it and the more he began to reveal more of himself in it, uh, the more wonderful it felt and the 
and the more attractive it became. And, and I feel like the Holy Spirit really used this as a way to woo me closer to the Father's heart. It, it, it became, a, it was a love relationship. I don't know any other way to describe it, um, but absolutely he shows up in ways that we would not even imagine uh, with people that can be surrogate fathers, with people who will have a word from you, a timely word that you know they could not have known on their own to give that to you. So that's a long way of saying yes. <laughs> do, you, do you believe that God rewards us when we forgive or anytime we choose to be obedient and walk in the spirit? Are there rewards either immediate or down the line a little bit? Blessings? I yeah. yeah, I absolutely believe that. And, and you know, we use the word reward and I don't know that it's uh, meant the same way as we see it in the world today. Okay. But I think I think some of the rewards are spiritual. And I think the rewards are in our ability to shed off these things that keep us from real true connection to God and to his people. So yeah, I think the rewards are freedom, um, freedom from guilt, from shame. Um, I think some of the rewards are clarity as we're reading God's word. I think some of the rewards are a, a, a connection to, to be able to hear God speak to us. You know, it's not an audible thing. I think you and I talked about this before. It's kind of like, for me, it's an inward impression. You know, I just feel like a pressing in my spirit or on my heart about a particular issue. So yeah, I absolutely believe that those are some of the rewards from it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of clear that Jesus is inferring in Mark 11, that our prayers can be hindered. Like unforgiveness will hinder our prayer prayer effectiveness. And, you know, for guys, for husbands, very important verse in First Peter chapter 3, that if you don't treat your wife as a joint heir, right, of the grace of life, it says right there, your prayers will be hindered. It spells it mm-hmm. out right there in First Peter 3. So we don't want to do these things or allow these things in our lives. We don't want to hold on to these, these things that will hinder our prayer life. Why? Because, would you agree that prayer is such a high leverage activity it's such a creative thing that we can do that we want that operating at optimal capacity, right? Absolutely. Prayer. Wow. Yeah. So would you mind just for, for a moment telling us about your, your journey in your own prayer life, Deborah? like maybe your own personal journey in prayer, your development in prayer personally, as well as maybe as you've engaged it corporately in the church? Absolutely. So my my prayer life from the beginning of my walk with the Lord, which was back in 1987, has been bumpy. It's it's been a bumpy ride for me. It's been um, one of those things where it's a um, you know starting right out the gate full force ahead, and then you kind of get a little comfortable and it kind of pulls back. Um, so it's been a bumpy ride for me. But in my later years, what I have developed and what I um, like to engage and include in my prayer time is I've I've got a couple of tools, just a couple of tried and true methods that for me have worked well. They're, they're, they're kind of oldies, but goodies. Uh, One of them for me is the practice of the presence of God by brother Lawrence. Oh, wow. Um, This, this has been around, I want to say since the 17th century, maybe this book, 
Um, this book is so, it's a very small book. Um, but what Brother Lawrence is teaching us here is practicing the presence of God in everyday moments. Uh, I don't want to make light of the time that we need privately, quietly, just us and God, but I also don't want us to miss out on moments of his presence in our lives that, that will happen even aside from those private moments. Mm. So for me, this has been um, a great one. One of the other ones that I really love is, um, my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers, another old devotional um, that for me helps to keep me on um, point and on focus. It's very easy for me and and many others, I'm sure, that are busy. You've got a lot going on, sure. kids, yep. husband. Mm-hmm. It's easy for your mind to wander sure while is. you're praying. Yeah. And so these tools, and and obviously the Word of God, my Bible, obviously, but these are tools that for me uh, have helped to keep me focused in those moments of prayer. Every morning I try to read a proverb, proverb, there are 31 proverbs. So every morning, so on the, for instance, today's the 31st. So today would have been, you know, reading Proverbs 31. Tomorrow I'll read, you know, Proverbs 1. And I've I've done that for decades just throughout my life. And and, um, so for me, I, I think the idea is, we want to do it. We want to do it consistently. And we want to be able to find those things that are going to help support that. Yeah, that's really good. So you find that like practicing the presence of God throughout the day or, you know, it, it, it's something like Paul saying, pray without ceasing, right? Like stay in tune, right? Absolutely. To, to the Lord. And then, so when you then go back into a concentrated time of prayer, like in your in your own devotions, it's it's easier, isn't it? When you have some momentum going, and you're just kind of, you don't feel like you've uh, been uh, disconnected for 24 hours or something, <laughs> you know? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and the other thing that it does too is really makes us aware of other people around us. I remember one day we were at a restaurant, and I just had this impression to ask our server. We were about to pray over our food. I had this to ask our server, is there anything we can pray about for you? Do you have anything going on? And she began to weep right there at the table. And I, I think it's just staying in connection with God throughout the day allows those kinds of, that would have never, that wasn't my thought. That, that wasn't me. Um, but it was, you know, staying connected throughout the day just makes us a little bit more sensitive when there's something going on that he wants to use us in. Absolutely. Absolutely, like a word of knowledge, right, or a, or a, or a word of wisdom, or absolutely getting yep. a, a nudge from the Holy Spirit about about someone or some situation. So, last question, Deborah, what about corporate prayer? What are you seeing in terms of like praying with others in small clusters or even in larger gatherings in the church itself as a whole? What about corporate prayer? What any trend lines you're seeing, or do you feel anything the Holy Spirit is asking of us in terms of corporate prayer? Yeah, I think corporate prayer is one of those. Um, magical moments that we get to experience that really cannot be replaced with anything else. It, it, you can't duplicate it in your private prayer time. When you gather with saints and choose to be on one accord and focus your faith and your words and your worship uh, in a unifying way, what what we've seen, at least we're 
you know, at our church at NCC, um, what that allows, it allows us to all become part of the vision, right? So we're all connected in that moment on one issue or one cause or one family or whatever it is we're praying about. And so for me, what, what corporate prayer does is it creates unity in the body. It doesn't matter where I just came from, where I work, where I live, how much money I make in that moment, there is complete unity. Mm. And for me, that, that is part of what I think the church is lacking to some degree right now on a, on a larger level. Uh, we've got all these different ideologies and opinions and political opinions. And, you know, we've got all this stuff that is dividing us. And I feel like if we can just come together and pray as a body, there is unity in that. And I think, I think we need that more now than probably ever before. Oh, yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I've, um, I've thought that, you know, prayer is not just transactional. It's not just a transaction that we do with God. It's transformational, you know, both on a personal and a corporate level. And so you're saying that as we come together corporately, we become one in heart. Our, there's a transformation that takes place in the body of Christ, right? We Absolutely. One in mind on certain issues that we're targeting in prayer, and um, it's not just a transaction that we're doing with God, is it? We're we're kind of positioning ourselves for transformation. Absolutely, and there's so much that needs to be done right now. We need this more than ever. We really, we really don't have the the time and um, to really focus on these little things that are constantly dividing us. We've got a lot at stake right now. We need to get on one accord. Yeah, you've uh, you've mentioned time and. Um, Tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. I, I now hold the position that, because there's always this thought that you don't got time, you know, for prayer. You know, we our mind wanders. We got this rat race thing that tries to get on us. You know, we, we, we have this list that, you know, that, that's another topic. But <laughs> it's almost like you don't have time not to pray because it's so, prayer stops so many things that take up your time, right? So am, true. Am I right? Is you it, are absolutely right. Is it right. like, you know, it's like... I. Well, I don't got time to date my spouse. Well, friend, you can't afford not to date your spouse, right? Mm, because that's of, right. Because of the good that comes out of it. That's right. And I remember telling my kids when they each left for college, you know, I told them that, you know, in the midst of whatever you're dealing with, if you can't even remember to pray or what to pray, the name of Jesus in itself is a prayer. Yeah. You call out the name of Jesus, and I guarantee you, whatever foolishness is going on, they hear you calling out Jesus, it will scatter. <laughs> we wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? I'm telling That's you. That's right. We, um, we've, uh, we have the opportunity to level up. I, I so appreciate this, Deborah. Tell us again about your book, how people, where can they go on the web to see more about the book, and also tell us about your other digital assets, your other websites, how people can communicate with you, social media, anything you want to share, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So Dear Fear can be purchased directly from my website, which is Deborah Porter, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, porter.net. And also, I've recently began a um, ministry, a company, a business that is supporting at-home moms. It's called the Moms Mentoring Circle. And so what we're doing there is I'm coaching and mentoring at-home moms with systems to help them with their own lives, their calendars, their children, their home. And part of that is because it can be begin mm. to get very overwhelming sure. and very lonely Absolutely. as a stay-at-home mom. Yep. 
The other part of that is we are a mom, but we also have dreams, goals, and desires of our own in ways that God wants to use us as well. That's right. So it's a way to do the mom thing without come becoming overwhelmed with it or it becoming the only thing that we do. And so that's the momsmentoringcircle.com. Um, and I would love to talk to any mom that might feel like she needs a little support in that area. <laughs> I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that is somewhat needed today for women. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being facetious. It's, it's, incredible. <laughs> it's, 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 it's incredibly needed. So what about like social media? Yes. So Facebook, we've got a Facebook page as well. Moms Mentoring Circle Facebook page. And I use that weekly to connect with moms. Every Wednesday at noon, I come on and do some type of subject matter or topic for the day. And I'll talk for maybe 15, 20 minutes, take any questions that anyone might have. But really the idea there is to help build community. Uh, It can be um, kind of an isolating experience being an at-home mom. You kind of almost go all day without adult interaction. And so I just like to be able to kind of pop in there and so that we can gather maybe the kids are grabbing lunch or maybe a quick nap hopefully um and and so yes so i would say mom's mentoring circle facebook page as well fantastic deborah i appreciate you i appreciate your heart for prayer stepping out and doing this writing on a very vulnerable issue and the whole thing with helping moms another really high leverage activity you help moms and help wives and the home life goes up right yes parenting all of all of the down downstream effect of that i appreciate you deborah i look forward to staying in touch with you god bless you okay thank you so much thanks for carving out some time okay to come on the podcast this this has been great thank you so much for having me we're gonna push it out and get it to uh trust that the holy spirit will get it into the right the right ears okay all right god bless deborah thank you thank you bye-bye you can visit Deborah online at deborahporter.net. Her book in the Dear Fear series, her chapter is in volume three of the Dear Fear series. Dear Fear, you can't have my forgiveness. Remember, the toughest things that Jesus tells us to do are the most rewarded. We can come into new spaces, new places in our kingdom journey with Christ, and that makes life worth living. The future's bright. Your horizons are bright as we move toward obedience, further obedience, further development as a Christ follower. To learn more about the podcast, go to jesussmart.com, and there's a dedicated show notes page there for this episode, episode number 77.